Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This episode is sponsored by Bookmarks, a customizable journal to record your reading life. Meet your new reading buddy, an all-in-one spot to record everything and anything book-related. Inspired by bullet journaling, Bookmarks offers ideas for setting up a multitude of book tracking pages with a mix of fill-in prompts, charts, lists, and plenty of dot grid pages to customize. To help expand your literary horizons, the journal also includes a section of recommended reading lists compiled by us truly, Book Riot. Use bookmarks to jot down what you're currently reading, what's on your nightstand, your favorite quotes, vocab words, characters you love, reviews of recent reads, and more. And a clever bonus, the back flap has a punch-out bookmark. So go to bookriot.com slash bookmarks tracker for your copy. Welcome to SFF Yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode 72, and we are recording on February 7th. I'm Jen Northington. I'm here with Sharifa Williams, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. And today we're going to talk about genre-blending sci-fi fantasy. Yes. Yes, we are. And I was... I feel like I've talked about so many books that are genre-blendy in general. Mm -hmm. I was, like, searching my mind for what I have not already talked about. Yeah, same, Not 100% uh, (laughs) successful, but for the most part. (laughs) Yeah, I think that that's one of the joys of at least modern sci-fi fantasy is that so much of it crosses genre lines in interesting ways. Yeah, and I love that. I love it so much. Very same. So before we start talking about news and then our picks, I'm going to tell you about our first sponsor, which is Harper Perennial, bringing us High Fire by Owen Colfer. From the New York Times bestselling author of the Artemis Fowl series comes a hilarious and high-octane novel about a vodka-drinking, flash-dance-loving dragon. Deep in the bayous of Louisiana lives a hermit dragon, the last of his kind, once known as Wyvern, Lord Highfire of the Highfire Airy, he now simply goes by the name Vern. Enter Everett Squib Moreau, a 15-year-old troublemaker with a heart of tarnished gold. A triumphant return to the genre-bending fantasy, ooh, on point, that Colfer is so well known for, Highfire takes the reader along for an incendiary ride with Vern Squib and an unforgettable cast of characters. That sounds utterly delightful. And again, that was Harper Perennial bringing us High Fire by Owen Colfer. Thanks so much for sponsoring this episode. Colfer does have a signature style, doesn't he? (laughs) I can certainly tell. Yeah. (laughs) Amazing. I'm down with vodka drinking, flash dance loving anything. Right. It's a a good combo. (laughs) Okay, um, I am going to start us off with our news, and let's just start talking about Doctor Who, because I thought that this was interesting news, and it brought up some interesting conversations. Uh, So the news that broke out recently, this, this particular article came out January 29th, was that 
there was an, a sort of announcement or a peek at the next Doctor Who, and the character was revealed to be Ruth Clayton, who's played by Joe Martin, who's a black actress. And I thought this was that this was really interesting because it feels very fresh that the world got its first female Doctor Who. So to bring a black act- actress on board is a pretty big thing. And, you know, this series is such a historic legacy in science fiction. So the first thing I thought when I saw this headline was, oh boy, what was the reaction to this online? And this article is centered around this question, is the casting of the next Doctor Who a sign that sci-fi is finally more diverse? That's the actual title of the piece. And I thought it was interesting, the question being explored and the statements that were uh, published in this piece about science fiction. They asked the director of the UK's Arthur C. Clarke Award for Science Fiction Literature about um, whether or not science fiction is getting more diverse. And some of this was like, okay, well, yeah, we do... We know, like, science fiction is getting more inclusive, and, like, I don't think the article necessarily got into it as deeply as it could, um, especially in talking about science fiction books and pop culture in general. I think it's really great news, though, that we are getting a black Doctor Who and a woman in addition, and this actress Joe Martin sounds really great. She's been on a lot of television since like I I went back in her IMDb and she's been acting since the 80s and I'm not that familiar with her work but I'm just really excited about this in general and I am not an actual like I don't watch a lot of Doctor Who. I'll watch it like here and there randomly but this kind of makes me want to turn it on for the first time, like to actually watch the series. So what do you think about this? We're both kind of like light on the Doctor Who watching. Yeah, I was going to say this is where I confess that I've tried multiple times with multiple doctors to get Mm -hmm. into Doctor Who and it's just not for me. Like I'm not throwing any shade. It's just one of those things that the sensibility is not for me. Um, That being said, I tend to follow the news around it because it's almost impossible not to if you inhabit, you know, the Internet, especially the sci-fi fantasy side of the Internet. So I was I saw this news come out when the episode that, you know, revealed her aired Mm -hmm. and was super excited for everybody involved. And I, you know, this interesting on the lily.com is, is, I mean, this, this article on (laughs) the lily.com is interesting. Yeah. Because I super appreciated that they talked to Manu Sadia, who's the author of Trekonomics, the economics of Star Trek, uh, who points out that sci-fi has never been just white men like it's taken a long time for us to acknowledge that and you know as uh sadia mentions like octavia butler is finally getting her due as a part of the canon in recent years and you know star trek itself has done a lot of casting work recently that makes it much more visibly diverse but science fiction and fantasy have always had 
diversity in it. It's just whether or not they got any recognition or got talked about or any, you know, airspace as it were. So, so I think that it's a bit of a weird question, you know, to say a science fiction finally getting more diverse. I think it's more like, I mean, definitely in terms of TV representation, yes, is the answer. Yeah. In terms of, you know, canon stuff. Also, we're just the visibility is going up, I guess, is what I would say to that. I would say so, too. And I mean, hopefully people, especially people in media and film and TV are starting to realize that there's demand. Yes. Like they felt very comfortable from, you know, anecdotally, I could see from the way representation has changed over the years it was a very comfortable thing for them to just, you know, cast a white character for right. just about every role, right. whether or not that role was actually intended for, you know, a white character. So mm-hmm. so it definitely feels like they are being more progressive about answering that demand. And I so these stories sort of jump out to me every time the headlines come up that Here's another one where, thank goodness, somebody is doing something and somebody is answering the call for more representation, more inclusivity in media. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think about the casting of the Wheel of Time series, which could easily have all been white. I think about the casting news we've had out of the Lord of the Rings show, which also, you know, historically has been all white uh, for the heroes. I think, you know, there are clear... And 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 the Terry Pratchett adaptation, yeah. right? I mean, we're seeing, we are seeing, you know, steps. I, obviously, nothing is perfect. Mm-hmm. And then what they do with those characters, you know, Game of Thrones notably fell kind of short in terms of how they treated their characters of color. Uh, but, you know, baby steps, two steps forward, one step back, or one step forward, two steps back, it goes back and forth, right? Nothing is... Nothing is easy in these ways, sadly. But yeah, it does seem to me that we are getting there. We're getting somewhere. That's what I want to say. We're getting somewhere. We're getting somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, you know, that being said, I think, Sharifa, we need to go right into our next heavy news story because I don't want to save this for a little Okay. I wanted to talk about, and you were the one who added this to the agenda, so I'm going to turn this over to you. We're, let's talk about little, little Michaela. Oh, buddy, this yeah. is a this is a big story that's pulled from the headlines of our very own science fictional world that we inhabit. So it's news to me, not very much, but like the the level at which we are doing. CGI these days Mm -hmm. is kind of new to me. So when I read this article, I was just like, what saying what in my head louder and louder. So there are (laughs) CGI influencers out there. And these CGI influencers are generally targeted to like Gen Zers. And this particular piece brings up the topic of a really problematic trend that's happening with CGI influencers where these simulated people are, like the subtitle is that they're turning identity into a form of currency. And so what this article goes into by way of this one specific CGI influencer 
called Little Michaela, who is a biracial, like this is CGI. When I say biracial, this is not a human being I'm talking about. Designed to be biracial, a queer person. And it was designed, this CGI character was designed basically just to make money. So because, you know, inclusivity and diversity and because, you know, being a marginalized person has flagged these companies as, oh, this could be a lucrative way to build an audience and to make money off of, you know, merchandise and off of sponsorships and investor dollars. Like we are going to co-op marginalization and certain communities and queerness and we're going to make this into a product. So Little Michaela is a well, it seems like a wildly popular CGI influencer who has a huge following. And there are others out there. She's definitely not the only one. And the other one that they mention, whose name I forgot, this is a huge piece. You definitely have to read it because it goes into so much. There's another one that is also really popular and that character is also definitely a person of color. And there's another one that was like completely separately. That that CGI character was dating another CGI character that's a right-wing activist. Like, it is out of control. But the main point of this piece is that these people are making money off of being a brown or black person and they're not actually, you know, paying brown and black people to be spokespeople. So, like, to me, I was just, especially, like, this article goes into what it means to be, um, like, the term and the concept, mestizaje, like, to be mixed. And, like, as a biracial person, I was completely incensed that this was even a thing and that there's no recognition of how problematic it is to to take away from the struggle that black and brown and biracial and marginalized people go through and to just kind of forego any of those conversations and make it easy to forget that there are struggles and there's history and there's colonization conversations attached to our identities and just to make that into sort of a pro like a money-making thing for these people who by the way like these designers are not brown or black people either they're not people of color one of them is like you know a white british designer and these companies as you might have guessed are not being run by people of color so it's making money for People who have no association with these identities they've created through CGI and through these influencers and also kind of, it's like a weird ploy, the way that they're approaching their audience. There's this one comment that they reference that little Michaela 
literally in the comments it's like oh i don't feel comfortable calling myself a brown person i was designed this way but it's very much like trying to evoke emotion and empathy from their audience and people were literally commenting like oh i just want to hug you like this is so sad like i just i can't even it's so hard to even put into words how gross this is and that this is a thing that's widely popular now i just don't get it i don't get it it's horrifying <laughs> I mean, it's so bad absolutely horrifying and i think that it really goes to show that there is no there's no movement that is untouched by capitalism mm -hmm. like there has never been a movement that has not been co-opted by somebody who just wants to make dollars off of it. And I I also, when I saw that quote about, you know, Lil Michaela sort of being meta about being mm -hmm. created to be this person and how, you know, there's some nonsense about I'll never forgive my creators. Yes. It's like these are, the creators are literally putting this out there. Yes. <laughs> I, I just can't, I can't with it because it's just, it's, posing as awareness but still continuing to profit off of what they're doing it's disgusting i think it's disgusting and i also i just this is one of those moments where i pray to the old gods and the new that there are teachers out there teaching their students media literacy like i because you know there's some uncanny valleyness to these also like mm -hmm. you could easily if you were just skimming mistake this for a real person if you were not paying attention which yeah. i'm pretty sure is what they're counting on like they can be as upfront they want as they want about how it's cgi people don't pay attention and and then on top of it this like buying into even though people know that it's a CGI character, like buying into the emotional content. It's so disgusting. And it's and I I really hope that, you know, these these generations after us, like I remember before the Internet. Right. I do. Yeah. Yeah. And and these generations that have never not had the Internet, like I don't know that education has caught up with how much media literacy you need to have to understand what you're seeing when you go on the Internet. I really hope that we are giving people the tools to discern this and to think critically about what it is that companies are selling you uh, and and how they're using these issues to sell it to you it's just really it's really upsetting <laughs> it's yeah. really upsetting and you know i yeah i'm i i i had somehow managed not to know that this was a thing until this piece uh bitch media is the piece that we're referring to by the way thank you for bitch to bitch media for really digging into this yes. i i had not known about this i really didn't this is not a corner of instagram that i inhabit and so it's very ugh. I know. And to me, like the thing, I, I totally agree with what you're saying about like, I, you hope that there's there are tools and education out there, because to me, my fear is that and maybe this is like very tinfoil hat looking too far into the future sort of thing. But it's like, oh, you get to have the all of the cool things you like about people of color and the things you see happen, like the trends that you see that were started by black and brown people. And this is a conversation in and of itself that 
people are just sort of running with those. And while, you know, brown and black people who started those trends are considered like hood or whatever, Mm -hmm. like it's suddenly cool when it's on a white person, like because it, it doesn't come with any of the political conversations about why these trends started or what the culture is. And my fear is that, oh, you get a sort of quote unquote cleaned up version of the brown and black identity where you don't have to understand or you don't have to deal with any of the actual struggle and any of the conversations or you don't have to be accountable for being Mm -hmm. respectful of those people when you're taking their trends and you're taking their style and they're taking the cool so and to that point there are literal biracial queer women of color who really exist doing these things who you could pay money to Mm -hmm. to promote your crap like you it's not hard to find them. It's really not hard. I can think, like, again, I my Instagram is not that broad, and I can think of people I'm following who fit this profile, who who could be getting, you know, influencer deals with companies that that you know Lil Michaela is working with. Like, why are we not giving them? I mean, we know why, but why are we mm-hmm. not giving them? The deals and the dollars and the swag, they're doing this already. Many of them do have huge followings. You don't need to create a person. You don't need to create a CGI version of this. It, they already exist. So, you know, it's it's first of all, it's pointless, except for if you don't want to give those people their due and pay them for the work that they're already doing. And, you know, second of all, it's so misleading. I just, yeah, there's so many problems here. There's just, we could talk about this for forever. We could. It's really, but I, <laughs> and then Sharifa, now here's the really ridiculous part of my sci-fi brain. Okay. I'm just thinking, I'm like, okay. And then the day that Skynet happens and Lil Michaela becomes sentient, like, oh, what no. happens? <laughs> what happens? <laughs> what, what, like, what will we create? I hope she pushes that self-destruct button, yeah. but that's probably not how most horrifying dystopic sci-fi would go. <laughs> well, we can probably. write our own. So. We will. <laughs> Good Lord. Yeah, definitely read this full piece. It goes into so much more, but we cannot spend the full hour on this. No. I would probably just be like making a lot of weird sounds <laughs> and flailing a lot instead of talking <laughs> yeah yeah oh, oh all right well so let's talk about some more fun stuff which of our yes. next two pieces do you want to tackle first uh let's talk about the lookbook because this is fun and silly yes so there's this lookbook that was made in to sort of mimic the horror and sci-fi novels of yore. So it's basically the covers of books. And a lot of these, for some reason, I think that they're supposed to be like, what is it, 70s? I'm trying to remember if it was like 70s. Yeah, 70s and 80s sort of styling. And they definitely reminded me of so many of the pulpy books I used to pick up when I was younger. But it is literally these models in outfits. This is by uh, Louis Vuitton. And they're wearing these outfits and, you know, high fashion and whatnot. 
but they're like on backdrops where like one of them has this really 70s style giant alien spider behind her and like a haunted mansion that sort of reminds me of like vc andrews honestly but there's like i think that this is just so funny and it's kind of unusual because i've not seen anything like this before where it's kind of you know tongue-in-cheek and funny and even like super cheesy I don't know. I just am jazzed. (laughs) It feels very Stranger Things meets Louis Vuitton is kind of how I was seeing it. Yeah, That's a good description. I could not care less about Louis Vuitton, quite frankly, but Mm -hmm. I love this. This is so much fun. And it just continues. We've talked about this before, the sort of uh, representation of nerdness in fashion that just increases every year, it feels like. And, you know, some of these, the looks themselves are not actually, I mean, some of them are actually kind of futuristic or fantastical in interesting ways. Some of them are just very, like, Fashion jazz hands. Yes. <laughs> um, but I I think it's really interesting. And I love some of the, I mean, it w- I was really excited to see like Duna Bai in here. Yeah. And, you know, some like Gugu Mabutura is in here and just some amazing models and actresses and actors who I've been following. And so it's really cool to see them in this spread and yeah the styling is fascinating and you know it's so funny because i am like neck deep in next in fashion that came out on netflix recently oh my goodness i just finished it yes and alexa chung don't tell me anything i won't (laughs) (laughs) okay but so so i'm sort of primed to be thinking like oh what's you know what's fashion forward about these looks like what is you know what trend (laughs) is louis vuitton introducing here and then like also sophie turner is on one of them so so (laughs) i just yeah it helps and i think it's really fun and interesting and cool and i i do not hate this at all i think this is super fun and entertaining I think so too. Probably not going to go out there and and drop a, a couple grand on these outfits, no. but I will enjoy staring at them for a yeah, while. Yeah, I will <laughs> scroll through this page at least once a day for a little while. <laughs> <laughs> well, also speaking of eye candy, there was a <clears throat> this there's a recent um, gallery show in Los Angeles. If you are in LA, it is open through February. 15th. Thank you for io9 for bringing this to our attention. It's at Gallery 1988. And the artist Nan Lawson has put together a bunch of gorgeous prints that are sci-fi fantasy and nature inspired which is as this article Mm. points out interesting because you know so much of the focus especially in science fiction is on technology and metal and space and lasers and whatever but these pieces are like you know full of vines and trees and you know woodsy scenes and animals and lakes and and all kinds of naturey beautifulness and i love the art style it's very sort of sort of cutesy cartoony but the pictures themselves aren't cutesy there's you know some of them have this undertone of eeriness or even a little bit of horror and then there's you know the one that's clearly the shire and hobbit inspired mm-hmm. and i just want to crawl into it and live in it you know <laughs> like i want to be in this piece of art immediately uh and i just i just love this beautiful homage to 
something that we don't think about very often, the the nature side of science fiction and fantasy. It's really, I think it's beautifully done, and I am going to have to resist the urge to buy a print, especially that never-ending story one. Oh, my God. Oh, my goodness. With the scene of uh, Atreyu and Artax in the swamp. Ooh, That's so feelings. sad. I'm sure that <laughs> they put it at the end because they didn't want anybody breaking out into tears right away. But... <laughs> right. You save your tears for the end in this one. But it's just so good. But I don't even have, I mean, I have so many prints and uh, things that aren't on my walls yet. Like, I absolutely cannot buy a new one. But I really want to. I re- this oh. makes me absolutely want to. And I wish I could go see these in person. I bet they're stunning in real life. I want this this artist to just do a bunch of like editions of sci-fi <gasps> covers. Yes. Or something. That would oh, I would so buy cool. those. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Everybody out there, listen to me. Do a petition. Yes. Because <laughs> I can't go to LA and see this, so I want it in some form. And I'm the same way. I cannot. I am not allowed to get any more <laughs> for a while. For a while. <laughs> All right. Well, that's enough about news, I think, for the moment. <laughs> let's uh, let's do one. another sponsor and then get into our genre-bending picks. So our next sponsor is our very own Read Harder 2020 Challenge, which is back. Uh, Read Harder 2020 has 24 tasks designed to help you break out of your reading bubble and expand your world view through books. We've got new genres, new authors, and new points of view, and the challenge will hopefully Hopefully, help you discover amazing books you wouldn't have otherwise picked up. You can read historical fiction that's not about World War II, for example, or a retelling of a classic or fairy tale, horror from indie presses, and more in this year's challenge. Go to bookriot.com slash read harder to get the full challenge task list and to check out the prizing for those who complete the challenge. Again, that is bookriot.com slash read harder. Okay, so All right, genre blendy, genre blendy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why it's, it's so, so fun. Dumb. I know it's really fun. I just imagine putting a bunch of things in a blender and turning it on, and so that's <laughs> I enjoy that. I that sort of visual of this. Um, I do too. Yeah, and this was an excuse for me to finally read *Leviathan Wakes* by James S. A. Corey because I was looking for things I hadn't already recommended, and I, as I was poking around the internet, somebody referenced it as a police procedural plus sci-fi, and I was like, "Aha!" <laughs> <laughs> and I have not seen *The Expanse* show yet, and I, this is like I said, I had not read these yet. Obviously, I'm very aware of the series, but this was my first reading and I can see what all the fuss is about. It was a super fun read. Well, okay, I'm going to put fun in scare quotes a little okay. bit. <laughs> this book does come with trigger warnings for body horror, mention of rape and suicidal ideation. So like there's a lot of heavy stuff in here as well as, you know, a sort of rip-roaring plot line. It is, if you are also behind the times, it is a space opera that takes place in our solar system. Humanity has made it off of Earth onto Mars and the moon and the asteroid belt, but we haven't made it out of the solar system yet. And one of our main characters, Jim Holden, is the executive officer of an ice mining 
Viking ship. Like they go to the rings of Saturn and grab a glacier in space and then take it to the asteroid belt to provide water for the folks who have settled there. And on a run, they come across a ship that has a distress beacon going and they go on board and they find a thing that should not be and they almost get killed for it. And everything just goes to heck in a handbasket very quickly. And then our other main character is Detective Miller, who gets assigned. He's an, like a part of a police force, a security force in the asteroid belt. And he gets assigned a case to find a woman who has been reported as it were, as missing by her parents who are like very rich and wealthy and she's sort of the black sheep of the family and they want her back whether or not she wants to come. So that's, you know, suspect. And he is very much a noir detective. He's divorced. He's drinking his way, you know, through his bottles. He has he's aware of his compromised morals, but generally is trying to do the right thing. He knows this case is super fishy, but he's like, uh, I guess I'll poke at it anyway. And as he looks into this woman's life, he finds things that then eventually end up tying him in with what the ship uh, and Jim Holden have found. And I will say that the body horror stuff was originally why I haven't read these books. I, I read the first chapter of Leviathan Wakes like back when it first came out, which was a while ago, and was immediately squicked out. <laughs> and I was nervous that the whole book was going to be like that. And I was like, I can't, I just can't do it. But it's actually, there's pretty limited, thankfully, body horror, except for when you get to the end and you can just sort of skim through those bits if you need to. Uh, it's, it is part of the plot, but I, I found it dealable. And uh, the thing that I actually found more disturbing is how fixated Miller gets on this woman that he's trying to find. Like, it's very, he, like, has this very idealized version of her in her head that he, like, talks to and sort of, you know, I don't even know what to say about it. But I think also it is not presented as cute, <laughs> which sometimes that kind of thing is. Like, it's made pretty clear to the reader that he's not 100% there. And, like, perhaps this is a sign of him being even maybe less there than he appears to be. So so that was weird. There's a lot of weird going on in here. But I definitely was like, what is happening? Like, it's absolutely got that police procedural vibe to it, which I do love a police procedural. And I do love a police procedural in space. And I super enjoyed the world building in this. It's very interesting the way that... The writers have set up the different, you know, politics of what it means to have colonized multiple planets and sections of the solar system and how they interact with each other. That's a huge part of this story. And I thought the blend between police procedural and then like military space opera was handled very well. It goes back and forth between the two until everything comes together about, mm, I don't know, maybe a little over halfway through the book. And and it's really well balanced. And I think, uh, yeah, I can and see how everybody's gotten so hooked into it. So if that sounds interesting to you and you haven't already jumped on board the Expanse ship, as it were, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I do recommend it. Again, this Leviathan Wakes by James S.A. Corey. Okay. Well, my science fiction pick is one that I have talked about before, and it's Prime Meridian by Silvia Moreno-Garcia. I love it so much. And I thought about this book 
I, I went back and forth about it because it seems very science fiction. But when you actually read it, and when I first encountered it, I was totally basing this read off of looking at the cover and then reading a little bit about it. And I was completely taken by surprise because it absolutely reads a lot more like straight up contemporary fiction with subtle notes of science fiction. So this is a story about a woman, Amelia, who has this dream of going to Mars one day. And the story takes place in the near future. But so much about this, this, this world um, and this time period is just like our own, except for some subtle differences. And one of those subtle differences, by the way, the book is set in Mexico City. So there are little things like the fact of Amelia's job and her job is to be a professional friend of sorts. So people can order a person to come over and just sort of hang out with them and have a chat. And that's what Amelia does for a living. And she's kind of scrounging a living together. Actually, both of my books today are about women who are scrounging a living together it's relatable <laughs> it's very relatable it is very relatable so it's very like the millennial struggle kind of or the 20 something struggle of trying to find your life and trying to break out of you know your early 20 years into some form of adulthood because amelia lives with her sister and she has a really challenging relationship with her sister who very much disapproves of the way she's handling her life. But the way she's handling her life is because some things that happened in her past were out of her hands and she had to help out her family. And so her goals got um, sidelined. And Amelia's holding on to this dream to go to Mars, which is being colonized because in this time period, the world and people are running out of resources. So we're looking elsewhere, as you might imagine we would do in the near future. So Amelia has this dream and this whole time throughout this whole story, you're just sort of following her and her thoughts and her disappointments with the way her life has gone and her difficult friendships. Because as you might imagine, some of her friends are doing better than she is. And she sort of has to deal with that and have conversations with herself about it. And a lot of the book, you get to just hear her sort of internal dialogue. And that's my favorite part about this entire story is just the tone she takes because she's very sarcastic. She's very dry. But she's also, you know, she's she's struggling and she's trying to find her way in the world. And then in comes this old relationship, this person who used to be in her life. And this dude sort of makes things a lot more complicated for her and brings up a lot of questions and also brings up her past again to the point where she has to think about it. And it's sort of this propulsive event when he shows up. I just love this story so, so much. And I could see how people, if like me, 
a reader picked it up and had a bunch of expectations, which I did see happen a lot in the comments on Goodreads, <laughs> having these expectations about reading a story about somebody who is actually on Mars and is a you know, space traveler, a Mars colonizer or whatever. It's not like that at all. It's very much like reading about, it's reading like contemporary fiction about a millennial who's having struggles, um, just like you might in today's world without any of the science fiction. So I just thought it was a really interesting read and something that was not necessarily like a lot of other science fiction I read. So if that sounds interesting to you, or if you know somebody who really loves contemporary fiction about 20-somethings trying to find their way and might want to get into science fiction, this is, I think, a really great recommendation. And again, that was Prime Meridian by Silvia Moreno-Garcia. She's so good. She's so good. She writes so much. I know. Yes. <laughs> I'm not sad about that. <laughs> Me neither. I love a prolific, wonderful author. Yeah, especially one who inhabits as many different corners of genre. Like her new one is a noir. And... Yeah. Ugh, so exciting. Uh, okay, so my fantasy, which comes with like scare quotes around mm -hmm. it, pick is Book of M by Pung Shepherd, which is one of my favorite books of 2018. I just, uh, this came out and I read it and I was obsessed immediately. And I think that it is inhabiting like uh, the Venn diagram of three different things, which make it a weird, like you talked about, Sharifa, the expectations of people when yeah. they pick up a book. And I think also this, like, I think you could get the wrong idea in a lot of ways about this book and come into it expecting something that you're not going to get. Uh, but but there's so much good stuff in here, like everybody should read it. So what it combines is a near future collapse story, right? Like, you know, the world is breaking down and how are people going to survive? Also, it's a little bit of an epidemic story. Also, there's magic. Like it's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot going on here. And it is also on the literary side. I think it was marketed more towards the literary crew than it was to the sci-fi fantasy crew, which makes me sad because I think that sci-fi fantasy readers absolutely should read and love, probably will love this book. But uh, but yeah, it's oh, it's so interesting. So there is a trigger warning for a sexual assault. Um, it is thankfully very brief uh, and not too graphic. But there's this book. It starts out in a in the woods <laughs> in this like abandoned hotel and Ori and his wife Max are there because they were part of a wedding that you know a destination wedding everybody got together and went to this hotel deep in the woods and while they were there basically the world collapsed around them uh, people started to lose their shadows and then they also started to lose their memories, but gain powers that seem magical at the same time. And so, you know, epidemiologists and psychiatrists and psychologists and all of these people are like, you know, quarantining and studying the, the victims of this disease. 
and are completely unable to come up with an explanation for it. Um, it's like our world, but this thing is happening and nobody knows what to do about it. Nobody knows how it spreads. And so everybody is terrified because in addition to losing your memories and gaining these powers, you eventually start to lose the memories of how to do things like eat or breathe. Like you start to lose your memories to the point where you don't function anymore and you will die. And you, you know, forget your loved ones and all of those things. And so, uh, so obviously people are not on board with experiencing this. And, uh, Ori and, and Max have so far escaped any exposure to this, but then Max's shadow disappears and she runs away, even though they had a plan for what to do if one of them fell victim to this, you know, inexplicable plague. But she doesn't follow it. She runs away. And so Ori leaves the hotel and tries to follow her across this world that has really fallen apart. And, you know, infrastructure is all over. And he encounters these roving groups. And some of them are not friendly. And some of them are friendly. And how to tell one from the other. And then there's these like roving packs of magically empowered but very disconnected people. And how do you treat them? Because they don't necessarily know what they're doing, but they're also potentially dangerous to you. And there's also a character, Nas, who is a college student and an archer. And she is trying to reunite with her sister. And she's amazing. And their stories all kind of spiral around each other in interesting ways. And it's such a fascinating... I don't even know, like, it, it, it defies easy categorization in what I think is a really satisfying way. Like, if you made the stand even more magical, it's a little bit that. Or if you made Station Eleven, you know, uh, forgetting slash magic plague instead of the flu, it's a little bit that. It's a little bit of a lot of things, but then uniquely its own self. And there is an epic, epic battle between the forces of X and Y towards the end that was amazingly written. And I will also say the ending is very controversial among people who have read the book. Some people Ooh. absolutely hated it, like throw the book across the room. How dare you, et cetera, et cetera. I found it absolutely heartbreaking, but also earned. So, you know, if you read it, like, hit me up, let me know what you thought about it. But I did warn you in advance. But I just think it's so good. And it's so original. It's so interesting. And I want more people to read it. So again, that's The Book of M by Pung Shepherd. I went to put it on my want to read list on Goodreads and saw it was already yes! on there. <laughs> oh, <laughs> one day you'll get to it. I will. Okay, well, my sort of not really fantasy pick is Nothing to See Here by Kevin Wilson. And it turned out to be such a strange and funny and wonderful book. So Nothing to See Here is a blend of satire and I guess you would call it fabulism. I almost put it into the science fiction category, but I couldn't decide. So here we are. <laughs> but it's this story that, you know, like Prime Meridian, feels so much a part of our world that even the strangest event stops seeming so strange. Because it is. It's basically this story takes place in our time period, in our world. But there's this one really weird thing that happens. So this unusual event in question is the spontaneous and recurring combustion minus the death or injury part of a pair of twins. So... It's told in first person by Lillian, and Lillian is this grown woman, again, approaching 30, who's getting by on a lot of odd jobs and very little money, 
she's stuck in a dead end and then this opportunity comes up out of the blue through this call from her old friend Madison and everything about Madison and Madison's life is so so different and one big difference is that Madison is filthy rich she's this ambitious woman who's married to a politician so when Lillian gets this opportunity to take care of her kids she packs up and moves to Madison's Tennessee estate and she knows she has nothing to lose and everything to gain. Like she's leaving her mom's house to go move into uh, this giant mansion. So then what ends up happening is this really unlikely friendship and bonding and hilarity and frustration happens with this collection of people. There's Lillian, Madison, there's these combustible stepkids, there's Madison's son and her husband and the family's, I think he's a, like some sort of bodyguard or Secret Service style person. But I went into this book not knowing a lot about what was going to happen. And I was just completely delighted and enthralled with it. And I also didn't expect to get choked up because it's so funny. I listened to the audiobook as well, which was really amazing. And I didn't want it to end because it was like hearing about the wildest story from a really good friend because <laughs> of the conversational tone of the narration and the dialogue. It was just like flawless. And then the characters are really complicated to the point where you you really want to dislike some of them, but, you know, they get under your skin, they get to you, and you can't really help yourself, but, you know, sort of understand where they're coming from. Most of the characters, not all. And then it has this weird sort of Annie feeling about it with these twins who've mostly been left to their own devices with their grandparents, who've been all but abandoned because of this this thing they have that's untreatable and undiagnosable. And they arrive at this ritzy mansion to start their life over again, but with limitations. And they meet Lillian, and then it becomes this whole thing. So this was like one of the books in a really great streak of compelling reads I was having earlier this year. Like, that wasn't like a month ago. I was so, just going to say, wait, wait, it's only February, Sharifa. <laughs> it's been like 300 days of course. <laughs> You're not mind. wrong. You're not wrong. But it was just such, it just added to a wonderful beginning of the year reading experience. So again, that was Nothing to See Here by Kevin Wilson. And that's our show. Huzzah. Whew, that was that was some that were that was up and down is what that was. That was that's a good way to say it. Thank you all for listening. As always, if you have any comments, feedback, story ideas, theme ideas, articles that you think we should tackle, requests for coverage, shoot us an email. You can reach us at sffya at bookriot.com. If you are so inclined, you could also review us and rate us on Apple Podcasts, which helps other folks to find this show. We super appreciate it. You can find us online in between shows. I am on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. That's J-E-N-N-I-R-L. And I'm on Twitter as just Jen IRL. What about you, Sharifa? You can find me on Instagram at S-Sign of Williams. That's S-C-A-I-N-A-B Williams. And we will talk to you next time. 